Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real-life matters. Hi, I'm Patty Allwell with Therapists Uncensored. I'm here with my co-hosts, Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. And we're with Austin in Connection. Say hi, guys. Hi. Woohoo! So Austin in Connection is a nonprofit here in Austin, Texas, that has been going for 10 years. And it is the largest gathering of therapists that are interested in the relational sciences locally that there is in the world, that at least that I know. Um, and I know some of the global organizations even, and I am pretty confident to be able to say that this is the largest gathering, the Austin Connection coordinates the largest gathering of therapists interested in these relational sciences and in training and studying and learning together. Here we are, we're sitting in a library in Austin, Texas with a group from Austin and Connection. And we have been engaged in a conversation about the state of the states today uh, and f- as far as how political climate is impacting us and how we're responding. And we're reviewing some of the concepts of interpersonal neurobiology to make them applicable to real life settings, make them real world useful. And it seems like as we're talking about this, that there is a lot of commonality in what people are experiencing out there and some differences. And so talking about the commonalities and differences, I think can be so insightful to help us as individuals understand what's going on and help us understand what's going on inside our family and our community. And um, as you know, we love to do it as neuro nerds. So we're going to have a background here. And it seems like if I could just... There's a bunch of neuro nerds A bunch of neuro nerds in this room, and you're going to hear from them. A lot of brilliant neuro nerds in this room. And the the concept of feeling right now the heightened sense of stress interpersonally, individually, and feeling of uncertainty. I think no matter um, probably where you fall on the spectrum, you're, you're feeling some level of uncertainty about what is happening. And to understand that, uh, I think people expressing a lot of division that's happening inside their family. It's one thing that we're kind of used to the population having a little maybe left right split. But one of the things we've been talking about today that's been really difficult is those groups that we felt are really safe, that those are our home base, that we're feeling and experiencing that home base in this really intense, almost insider-outsider feeling and how you deal with that conflict. So, Patty, do you want to tell us a little bit about the ventral vagal to remind everybody about that? Sure. As we've been talking today, there's been the experience of people's bodies being really dysregulated, either from a lack of safety and feeling like they have activated their fight and flight system or really that dropping of their stomach and that sort of going to the immobilization with fear, the really the third part of the ventral vagal system. And what we've been trying to do for our clients and for ourselves is move back to safety. And the way to do that is connection, is, you know, really with our clients to really be with them. And there's been plenty of examples of people talking about, you know, regulating their body through song or through um, just sitting with someone. That's right. Sometimes what I will do you know, in session is like I'm putting my hand over my head and under my stomach. And 
um, or not under my stomach, along my rib cage. And that's the window that we want to stay in. So basically it includes my head and my heart. And sometimes we lose our minds. And when we lose our minds, we, I think of that as going to the ceiling. And going to the ceiling has to do with activation. We're just not effective once we lose our minds. So yeah, we can get really pissed off. We can get upset. We can do these things. But we're, but we're not necessarily mindfully deciding what we're doing because we've lost our mind because we're up too high. We're above above our heads. And then below, down below, as Patty's saying, is where we drop out. That is the dorsal vagal, where we, that's the 30,000 mile stair. That's the... um, Can't get out of bed. Can't get out of bed. Pull the covers up over our head. It's when we're on the, you know, we're a puddle on the ground. We... But and, and from there, we're not effective either. So as Patty's saying, that which, from whichever direction that you're dysregulated, the idea is to come back to the middle, which includes our heart and our minds, because we can't be compassionate and empathic to ourselves or anybody else if we're armed. And above and below, we're armed. Because even below, when we're on a, in a puddle, it's, kinda, it's armor. It's a defensive position. So that sounds in some ways like a, a, can be, sound like a wonderful ideal, but when our body's in threat and it's our father or our cousin that is expressing a view that makes us feel incredibly threatened, we are going to get activated, right? And I think one of the things is to remember is that it's a natural state to get activated. And it's a natural, especially if there is a real threat, and many people feel it to be a real threat. So there seems to be also a lot in the community to just say, oh, calm down, things will be fine. And that doesn't necessarily, we might think that's helping our friend or family member come from what Sue's talking about from that high activated state down. But if you're telling somebody who actually feels a threat, it's fine. Just calm down. You can imagine, you, you can feel in your own bodies as oh, we're yeah, it speaking. It just means you don't understand me. It makes you want to hit me. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you unsafe. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it literally does, Patty. It makes you unsafe because now what we're going through is a misunderstanding. So I think when there is a perceived threat and it feels really sharp, we do need our bodies. Our bodies are communicating something to us, and they're very valuable. They say, oh, my God, there's a threat, so we're really activated or we're really low. And it's really important that that's, that's actually a healthy response. Where it be- becomes really difficult is if you remain there. And so interpersonal neurobiology, relational science is about understanding you're there and helping yourself or your or the people that you love or your family members recognize that that's a high threat response and to go, yes, it's really threatening and you get them. And that's often a really difficult thing to do, especially when, again, in brain science, we really go to the in and out when we're feeling threatened. And so if they're expressing a view that's different from ours, it's threatening. Now our body is threatened. And so we're going to be in a reactive state and not being able to say, calm down. So the more we're able to recognize that, but say, okay, the state of being activated is normal. But what we're going to do is we're going to help you calm down and get it, like Sue was saying, in a range that you can still stay angry and upset, but to move it from a complete state of threat to more of a activated place. So we're going to be inviting folks, um, as you have thoughts, to come forward and share your own ideas of interpersonal neurobiology, if you would like. In the meantime, as people are thinking about approaching, 
go ahead and stand up if you would like to do it. But the th- there's another concept called the triangle of well-being. That is a Dan Siegel concept. And can anyone remember the three corners of the triangle by chance? Relationship, body, and mind. So what he means by that is that that the nervous system cannot be reduced to less than these three things. It's really actually interesting when it comes to therapy, because what it's saying is that, and each thing affects the other. So if we think about the brain, the brain is defined as the neural, the thing inside your skull, right? But also that goes all the way through your body. It's basically your nervous system. It's the mechanism with which energy and information flows. So that's basically, I call that, that's the hardware. That's what, that's what we have. That's the hardware. The mind is what emerges. It's the process that, that regulates information and energy flow. And it's very different and separate and distinct from the brain, which is really cool, I think. And then the third one is relationships. And of course, relationships are, again, part of what manages, goes back and forth. I call it neural Wi-Fi. And so that we're affected by our hardwiring, what came before us, our, our biology. We're affected by our software, which is our it's, it's a rough analogy, but it's, it's our mind and what we're thinking. Our moods, like moods affect us. And moods, if you think about a mood, will affect relationships. And if we stay in a mood and 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 stay in a mood, it can affect our brain, right? Our brain affects our, our, our mind and our, and our mind affect and our relationships up here is, is affecting both things as well. It's affecting our mind and what we're thinking and how we're feeling. And then all of that is affecting the hardwiring in our body. So the cool thing about this is that your mind can change your brain and relationships can change your mind, right? And so as we're all therapists sitting here right now, so with each person that you're sitting with, you've got one point of the triangle every 45 minutes or every hour or however long your interval is that is changing that you're absorbing and you're being affected by each time. So us being able to be more conscious of that. And this is true as you're listening, whoever you're in close relationships with, their mind is affecting your mind and your brain and is affecting the relationship. And so what we want to do is be aware of this in a really positive way and use relationship as as, um, Polly. I'm going to call you Polly. Um, (laughs) As Patty was talking about, because I was thinking Polly, Polly Vagel. Not not the other kind of Polly. Polly. that okay I've totally lost my train of thought so <laughs> funny how Polly does that when I started thinking of well that's when I started, I totally went to polyamory <laughs> you know so far I've, I've been in the polyamorous Mike. no that's a joke oh <laughs> so other does anybody have anything please go right ahead about 15 years ago can you hear me that's perfect. As Dan Siegel was going through one of my trainings, uh, we spent a lot of time together exchanging these ideas when he was formulating his early ideas about interpersonal neurobiology uh, and um, neurobiology, excuse me. And so I made it a quest to understand mine, my attachment pattern, first and foremost, 
and it was a search to really get it clear because these things are not conscious to most people. And now it's it's instituted as the central part. I do in every one of my trainings, people have to learn their own attachment patterns, how they work, what the dynamics are. And it's just been, it, it just allows you to sort of uh, moderate your own reaction to things once you, you grasp this is what's happening and you can almost predict how you're going to respond to certain predicaments. And uh, so, but it took me some time to do it. It didn't happen overnight. So the whole quest has been how do you modify these patterns, particularly if they're extreme and they're not uh, real, real functional. And so it's been, it's just been central to me to do that and understand the brain work and include that in my books and so forth. But the people, so everybody that comes in, I want to see what their pattern is and I have to make sure I know mine so I don't bias the thing based on my own stuff, what's going on. And uh, once I know them, I can attune to them uniquely according to whatever their pattern is. And it allows us to individualize counseling, which is, for me, extremely important to do because I used to be of the false idea that my great personality was is going to, everybody's going to like it and they're going to respond to it. Well, no, certain people, avoidance, don't want to talk to me. <laughs> and people that have certain kinds of attachment patterns don't respond the same way. So I had to, you know, sort of uh, get over myself and realize that, you know, you had to respond to people according to what their patterns were. And so that's been the focus and it's been a very moving uh, experience for me. Great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So we're inviting these therapists in Austin, Texas to get a chance to share their wisdom with you. These are brilliant therapists that know a lot about interpersonal neurobiology. Any particular thoughts about somatic therapy or the polyvagal system? One of the things I had, I was thinking, Patty, when you said the thing about the attachment style is this whole notion of and and your follow to follow up to your comment about individualizing care is that as you begin to think more about how people speak versus just what they're saying that that's a big part of the attachment literature and very very roughly one can think in terms of left and right as one way another big concept is integration and integration is a is basically it's kind of the definition of mental health when we have harmony when we have distinct parts that are connected and in a way again that's what we're doing everybody has their you know individual areas but we're creating harmony coming together and so when you see someone that is more on the this left right isn't political by the way <laughs> everyone will be very happy to know um, I'm thinking of the hemispheres of the brain um, and again it's overly simplified to call it that but let's just say you know left being what linear logic language language that's right I think of it like the Excel spreadsheet and then right being Creativity, emotion. Emotion, creativity. That's right. Um, Music. Uh, Not all music. You can play music from the left side too, but um, spirituality. spirituality. But also it's, it's, it can be upregulated and downregulated. We can just think of these in different ways. But as you, as you can see where somebody's landing, then you can know better how to direct them. So somebody who is very aroused probably doesn't like we're wanting to get them it's almost like bring them more left like get them get them why get their wise mind where they can get their thinking back on and then if somebody is 
very avoidant and dismissive over on the other side. We're wanting that them slowly over time to be able to get more connected to their body and to their emotions and inside themselves and feeling safe. And then uh, like being aware that we need anything. I, I'm a recovering uh, avoidant. And <laughs> it's like, I have to sometimes like, remember, I actually, if I see needy people around me, it's like, Oh, maybe it's partly because I'm not connected to my own need that it, that somebody looks really crazy and needy. So that that process is part of how that happens. Um, but anyway, I was thinking of that from the individual treatment. That the more that we know about this, the more very very specific um, that we can respond to be able to help people move people in the direction towards integration. Yeah, uh, Stephen Porges, who's the developer of polyvagal theory, talks a lot about how people's nervous systems are unique and their responses are really unique. And so there's no, you know, having the idea that that there's one way to treat a client is just, you know, sort of ludicrous. And there's nothing, there's nothing uniform about reactions to big stimulation. Yeah, and there's nothing uniform about being able to respond to yourself and to those people in your lives right now. There's not like we can give one answer for every person, but what we've heard consistently and uh, um, is about really getting in touch with what is happening in your own reactivity, and that's the, the center, because trying to appeal to somebody else, if you're not connected to what's happening in your own sense of threat, you really won't be able to do that. And one of the focuses on self-compassion and people think about self-compassion in a way of just being kind to yourself and it doesn't seem as easy you know, it just seems just be kind to yourself right now and that's not so always so uh, intuitively obvious but to stop and think about it and what we're speaking about is that first part of the self-compassion is being mindfully aware about what's going on inside of you kind of like the hairs on the back of your neck yeah <laughs> <laughs> And, and then to be, I think the thing that is so important and is at this point in time can be so difficult with what's going on to get more active is to be able to then find the awareness of saying, this is really hard, whatever is going, this is, and being able to be aware, like what you're experiencing is hard. And then the more difficult though, is the common humanity because our instinct as humans, we remember that that part of seeing the threat and dividing it as you're the threat and I'm like what you think is is threatening to me what I think is right right that's a human experience and we recognize it more in other people um, because when they're expressing what we think is wrong it's so obvious right I sometimes think of self-compassion like woo woo like oh yeah 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 it's kind of like yoga or something yes I know I'm supposed to do that but you know? It's actually really, really not. It's very scientific because right. part of what we've been talking about and is... technical if, even. To, yes. And if defining the common humanity is going to be one of the most difficult things right now because we can lose it even among our friends and we can lose it in our family. And when all of a sudden we want to defriend our own family members... Um, it's really hard. We we have that threat because, like as you were saying with the triangle, Sue, as we feel that disconnection, it should be threatening. We should feel it as alarming. But what we can, as humans, think is that the instinct is to get the threat away from us, and that's a human's response. You're threatening me. I'm going to defriend you, and now I feel better. 
but it's this immediate feel better. But unfortunately, what it's activating is a disconnection, which so in and of itself is a double whammy. You, it makes you have an immediate calm because I've gotten the threat away from me by defriending you. But as I've done it, you know, you've not, it's, it's an immediate actually dopamine hit because we feel powerful. We felt helpless in listening to you. Now we feel powerful because I'm going to cut you off, which means I'm going to get a rush of dopamine. But we all know the crash from that. And we know the long run is we start feeling conflictual, thankfully, because our body, as Sue's talking about, is we need the relationships. That's part of our human connection and our survival. So that we're distressed about that is really, really important. So to use that as self-compassion, you're like, this is really hard. It's going to be really hard to stay back connected to somebody that's aggravating me, but it's really important. And I need that common humanity and to be able to kind of get connected that I need to come back and reconnect in order to hit that survival of safety. And the interesting thing is, is that as we get more related, we have to calm ourselves down. And as we get more related, and one of the ways to do it is not through our initial I can't believe you think that. Are you kidding me? You know, again, feel satisfying. But to the... Righteous indignation. Right, so it, it, doesn't it feel good? Oh, my God. I'm sure that I can be guilty so of it in the last month. It's a great defense. It, it's a great... It's an immediate defense that feels very self-satisfying. But actually, as in the end, if we stay there, again, we can go there, and that's helpful. Because when we're feeling immediately helpless, we got to go, ah, and that makes us feel powerful. That's an important step. We just can't live there because if we live there, we live in disconnect and we disconnect our community as a whole. And so to be able to go from self-righteous to indignation, one of the things I suggest or we've been suggesting is what is it like to, is to turn it not, I can't believe you voted for that person to, can you understand, could, I would love it if you could just hear what's so hard for me in this. And so you have to get attached to what's hard for you. That's, that would be vulnerable. It would that, be. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to do that? Who wants to do that? <laughs> Especially if we're feeling threatened. <laughs> it's so hard. But that's why self-compassion in, is, is connected to other compassion. So if you can go, can you hear what is so hard? You can feel in your own bodies your ability to open up a little bit and, and connect the wise part of us that needs that relationship. And then the good news is we get the better hit and that's the opiate hit. We get those things that in our body, that satiate us, that actually bring in our value systems and then make us feel connected more. And then you can then, as you say, can I tell you why the other hit is you're starting to express your value system and when we express and we get connected to our values, it activates a different part of our body. So what we're talking about is when we're in threat, we're hitting the reptilian brain and that shuts us down and makes us tight and cuts us off. But when we can actually get related and we can connect to the opiates, which is always a good thing to connect, it tends to actually open our body up and it actually makes us a sort of a safer environment for connection and then the and by doing that we get attached to our value system if we can activate what's valuable to us it actually then puts in a different part of our brain that actually activates our desire for late relationships so if we can say what is valuable in what i'm telling you we're going to activate the neuroceptors of your, of the person that's important to you to be a little bit more of an open listener so I'm curious what this, any, if this brings up any thoughts for people. Um, yeah. I told myself I wasn't going to get up here, but um, this is vulnerable for me, but uh, y'all have done such a good job of the flow just 
felt right for me to share this. Um, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but what you shared about our families, our, our attachment origins, our home, our sense of where our home is coming from. And I feel like for me, I have two homes that have that have kept me safe in my life. And one is my dad. He was kind of mom and dad and helped raise me. And he's an amazing, loving human being. And the other home is my therapist and spiritual community. And, and I don't, I don't give lip service to that. They're like the mothers and sisters and that I never had, but yet always feel like I've known. So for me, that has been truly heart opening. And so for me, I've had other people uh, that have looked at a few of my Facebook posts and said, gosh, you, you seem like you're coming from a moderate position. And I kind of stiffened at that response because I feel like I know exactly where my actual position is. And it's not in the middle as far as the political, my political views yet. I think what they're seeing is what's moderate is that moderator. It's that I love, I love my dad and I love my sisters and I'm just using the feminine as the, cause it's kind of like mom and dad, but they're on opposite sides. I'm on the same side as my sisters, as far as who I voted for and what views I believe in. And they're pretty far to that one side, but the moderate part is the people that I know and love, not just my dad, but friends that did vote for the person on the opposite side. I can't get on board with them being wrong and them being the problem. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's been, it can be, and it has been, and I, I've gone up and down in that. I loved Sue, your reference with the keeping it with the head and the heart. I've been up with the reactive and down with the paralyzed. And I think a lot of us have like, and just paying attention to that from the inside out, it's been very important for me, but it's almost like I lost both parents when I get into one of those places because of the reactivity I've seen from the people that have been my home on the feminine side, on my, my sisters, the therapists and spiritual side. So mm -hmm. And they don't stay in that place, thank goodness, for the most part. So I, it really helped me to, to hear y'all frame it that way with uh, talking about your home. And it just, oh, I just feel so much less alone in it hearing it that way. Because I kept stiff, stiffening sort of at the, you're moderate. I'm like, I'm not moderate. I know exactly what I think and where my opinion is. But I am moderate in the, hey, these aren't, it's not, they aren't the problem. We, we're all in this together. I love I love my dad. I love my friends. I love, I, that doesn't mean that I support them and I want us to just go, oh, it's going to all be okay. Let's push this all under the rug. Let's pause to thank our sponsor, Leslie University Mental Health Counseling Programs, where you can help others transform their lives with creativity and compassion. You can apply a social justice lens to mental health care and achieve your own goals through their master's and PhD programs online at leslie.edu slash mental dash health. Now let's return to our podcast. So you moved to a more flexible, adaptive, coherent, energetic, stable state, which is uh, some of the signs of integration from stiffness to flow in a sense. 
Um, and just as a concrete example, like it was a different part of your mind that was open. And I'm curious about other people. We have someone who wants to speak. You know, um, we're talking about self-compassion, but I think a very important part of stepping into a situation that is heated is having compassion for other. And I think that's one of the early places when you notice that, you, you know, either the situation or you are being sort of sucked in is to be able to, as I notice that, sort of detach from it a little bit and not get right under that tsunami wave of emotion. And so as that first piece is a little bit of compassion for myself. Wow, you know, this is intense. This person is really coming at me or this opinion that someone's expressing really strong. And that could be regarding any subject. And if we can have a little bit of distance at that point and sort of almost feel like we're taking a step backwards, we can have compassion for what we're seeing come from that other. And that other might be one of our closest loved ones, my husband, or it might be a client who is in distress Mm -hmm. and expressing some of these really strong emotions. And so just having compassion for that. And, you know, another word for that is joining that person, you know, coming up to their level a little bit without feeling like, you know, in that tsunami, I want to really refute everything that's going on and match them. So it's the opposite. And what I notice with, um, you know, the mirroring is that I can help them come down a little bit so we can perhaps approach more dialogue and more give and take and more balance and flow. And so I think that's something as therapists, you know, that's really useful to keep in mind, but it also is something we practice all the time if we have some of those strong characters in our families and in our our midst. Well, that's right. And then part of just, I'm going to list a few things that you just said as brain as part of the uh, integration, which you said impulse control, basically sort of the pause That is when we are in that correct state in our prefrontal cortex and our kind of highest functioning, we're able to pause when we're not, when we're doing this, we're probably not when we're in a hurry, you know, that's probably not. So being able to be reflective, you said attunement, Uh, I don't know that you use that word, but that's basically uh, resonating, Um, empathy for others, empathy for self. There's nine domains of regulation and she's, that's just four of them reading what you're thinking, being able to body regulate. So just to name some of the specific um, prefrontal cortex functions that are going to help us in this. If you take away nothing else, this notion of a pause is a really good one to take with you. Does anybody else have something to say? And I know you were wanting to go ahead. Kind of building um, on that, I... I'm a therapist and also a yoga person. And so and feel free to say your name if you for like. me. Oh, I'm Diane Fish. For me, the pause is part. And I, I've been watching y'all talk. And when you're talking, everyone keeps touching their heart. And being with someone just from their heart, you don't actually use words. You're, you're just being with them. And it slows everything down and allows both of us to regulate a little bit without having to struggle with saying the exact right thing or, you know, oh my gosh, how am I going to get them out of this funk or whatever. It, it really puts us in that place of just, I'm here, you're here. And if we sit here long enough and breathe, we're just attuning 
And, you know, I felt safer with Anne early in our discussion. <coughs> At one point, you touched your heart and we're talking about how it doesn't really matter what what position you're coming from or something. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really the words. It was just all of a sudden you softened. Mm-hmm. And I could feel that softening. It's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. safe to be in here. I can, I can be myself and risk that. So That's really beautiful. And I, and I love what you're saying because the pause, we're, we're talking about it so much from a science perspective, and yet we can so understand how much it affects us when we feel it. And that pause actually just helps us feel so much safer. And when we feel safer and that idea that, and when we're pausing, we're not, we take that one moment of pressure that we feel in that buildup of tension. And instead of activating it, we just slow it down. And then, because if we, I mean, just as as we're going to have to start coming to a close, we've been talking a lot of interpersonal between two, but we understand that if we, Anytime we divide, it's threatening. And so if we divide, if we allow ourselves out of our own immediacy to divide between them and us in and of itself, before we turn the mics on, we were talking about the Civil War, we were talking about Vietnam, we have a lot of historical perspective of feeling a threat of in, in our country about us versus them and what happens. And so it's always important as was reminded to remember that this is a moment in a big scheme of time, that that's in a really, really important moment, even though it's felt very differently by many, not by all, but that we have to remember that as a country, we also have neuroceptors. It is not just, it, it's, it's like our whole community does. So if we divide, if we promote a division uh, between an us and them, instead of working really hard to find our own threats and our connections of why somebody, as you said, Tiffany, and your family would vote, you know, we, we would vote differently than you, then we're going to promote fear across the country. So it is, this neuroceptors happen inside of us, between us, but also in our entire community. So we, it's such an important work that we're doing for ourselves and for each other, but we have to sort of reduce that desire in our impulse to see that somebody other than us is threatening and we are safe so that we don't as a country divide in a state of threat. And I think that's the urgency we're feeling in this community as, as we speak. I, I think there's some urgency over here as well. Some folks who might have one more thing oh, to yeah, say, sure. just like... What I found to be helpful, this is Stephen Voskis, is that people, the way they respond to the media, avoidance, they don't want to see it at all. Uh, other attachment patterns, they can't get themselves stopped watching the TV and hearing the news. And there's all kinds of other patterns. So monitoring that, to me, really gives control. I'll listen to a little bit, but I'll stop when it's saturated, knowing knowing my boundary issues. And the same thing with, with the interpersonal interactions. There's certain people you know are going to talk about this. So regulate the amount of time that you see them. So I'm just, I am just regulating the input I get so that I'm in charge and can be aware, but not in denial simultaneously. And that's been a helpful way for me to manage it. That's a yeah, really good point. Some of the people, um, just another quick thought, uh, follow-up to that is that some people feel very guilty for not continuing to act. And so this notion of social media blackouts, breaks, um, not being doing activist stuff. I hear a ton of guilt related to that. And so we talk about oxygen mask on you first and taking care of yourself first uh, as a way of being able to mobilize in a decisive way. I think that's a 
one of the things that we've been dealing with is the is the guilt piece. So, all right. Um, does anybody else have ten more seconds of suggestions, ideas? Um, my name is Sarah Carpenter, and I'm an LPC SCP. I manage my own activation by writing during this podcast and during the session prior to it, and the outcome of my own writing and sharing was that I feel more resilience in my nervous system. I have a friend named Brian Mahan who talks about you'll feel more grounded, centered, boundaried, embodied, empowered, safe in the moment, and joyful when you've worked through the nervous system to heal the trauma. So I hope that... I can work with my clients that way and that we can work with each other toward healing. And on that note, that's a great way thank to you. wrap that's up. That's wonderful. <laughs> Very nice. So thank you all for listening. www.therapistuncensored.com. Sign up for our email list if you are interested. We have a private Facebook page where that we encourage people to share articles and share ideas like this, share poetry perhaps, um, and really talk to each other because we this can't be a one-directional thing if we are interested in IPNB, right? It needs to be uh, where we're gathering community. So that is a way to do that. And we encourage everyone here and everyone listening to be a part of that and to have a voice and to uncensor yourself. So thank you. Thanks we'll for see listening. See you around the bit. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Becky Mendeville edits this podcast and provides technical support.